Hello and welcome to Really Well Women with me, clinical somatic educator Heidi Hadley and naturopathic doctor Sarah Wilson. Really Well Women is here to educate, empower and enhance the health and well-being of women who have many demands and yet they want to take care of themselves from the inside out. Enjoy our podcast as we delve into all areas of health and well-being. So are you ready to find out more? Let's get started. Welcome back. So today we're going to cover a topic that's really a passion area for Heidi and I, so that's the gut and inflammation. But first and foremost, I want to let you know that the order of the topics we're covering is really purposeful because these are the things that we have both seen in our lives, um, but also that we see with our patients and the clients is that you really have to have the elements we've already covered, so mindset stress, movement, and routine in place in order to achieve a goal. Because as much as these things are some of the least sexy things, they're the hardest to implement. And when you have them down pat, you have such a strong foundation to your house, which is also why I often call this the foundations of health series and not the fundamentals, but we'll go back and forth. <laughs> but in any case, today, we're really going to start digging into some other physical areas of health. And we're going to start with the digestive system. So the digestive system is truly the root of everything. It's where you digest, obviously, so you break down food. It's where you absorb those nutrients, but it's also the place where inflammation and autoimmunity start. It's the main source of serotonin, and serotonin is like a happy hormone. Um, It's called a neurotransmitter, which is essentially a chemical messenger for your nervous system. And your brain, fun fact, is also known, or your, your gut, Fun fact, is also known as your second brain. And so with that, there's so much going on there from a neurological perspective. It controls pain, allergies, and even weight loss resistance is related to your gut. And so many of these outcomes are related to something called your microbiome, which is the balance of bugs. So yeast, microbes, all different things that live in there. And there are actually more of them than there are human cells. So it's really important that these guys are working with us and not against us. It's true, isn't it? I mean, I, as you said, I love this subject too, um, not only just on a professional level, but on a personal level. So I know we're going to talk a bit about our own personal experiences in this area. Um, but I know clinically, my goodness, the inflammation and the gut issues, if people haven't got that right, you can see it translated on so many levels. Um, and it's not uncommon for me to be asking clients, about the size of their poo, the color of their poo, the frequency of their pooing, you know, all those sorts of things. So here, we just talk about it quite openly because actually it's a really important fact. Um, And there's one person in particular that once just mentioned to me because she knew that we talked quite openly about poo. And she just said to me about the color of her poo and a few things about the bloody appearance with the poo. So I was quite concerned and I advised us to go and see a gastroenterologist which she did. And actually she did have bowel cancer. So she had to get that dealt with very quickly, you know, so it's, it's a really important thing for us all to be talking about. It's nothing to be quiet and shy about because it really is crucial. And it is sometimes um, because of cultural reasons, people might not want to talk about it, but it's actually very, very important. Um, And in my own personal situation, um, my family have got a very weak, a weak side to the gut, unfortunately. Um, And so because of, and we're going to talk about this because of something called epigenetics, I've worked really hard to change my lifestyle, change dietary sides of things so that I don't start to follow that same sort of pattern 
um, because obviously I've got fructose malabsorption and um, something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And the gastroenterologist at the time said to me that that's very heavily linked with Crohn's disease, colitis, bowel cancer. So because that is what's within my family, I'm very careful with my foods, my choices to keep that inflammation down so it doesn't change the DNA and start to create other um, inflammatory problems within my bowel. So it's a very, very important subject on multiple levels for me. Absolutely. And I'm the same. Pretty much everyone in my family has autoimmunity. And so when I started to research in this area, I realized how linked it is to the gut. And for me personally, I was undiagnosed celiac until I was 18. And I was always in and out of the hospital. Everyone was trying to figure out what was going on. I had immunocompromised. I had pneumonia every year, ear infections, and all these things. People don't necessarily relate back to the gut, but they're hugely involved with digestive function. And so healing the process of healing my gut and figuring out which foods worked for me and didn't and working on my bacterial balance has been happening for so long now that it's just such a huge part of my day-to-day yeah it is the thing is though um sarah you know we talk about inflammation and sometimes with inflammation we always think it's a negative thing don't we mm-hmm. and in actual fact it's a very very clever process that the, that the body does because um it's created the the whole purpose is to create um a time for the body to isolate uh, like an a noxious or a sort of foreign um, body or something that it identifies that shouldn't actually be there in order to isolate destroy and break it down isn't it and that's when we get that tissue swelling. So again, that tissue swelling, if we've had something happen where we've noticed there's some elsewhere, like there's some bruising, we actually know that that inflammation, because there's a lot of work going on underneath to help repair that region. Likewise, within our gut, if there's swelling and inflammation, that's there. But the problem is a bit like when we talked in the stress podcast about homeostasis, homeostasis should still come into place with inflammation, shouldn't it? So we have short-term inflammation to deal with an issue, but then with homeostasis, which is creating that state of balance, that inflammation should settle back down. So then we've got that nice, regu- you know, a, a nice sort of natural and um, healthy environment to be living in. But that isn't always the case. And that's when inflammation can switch to become a detrimental thing, can't it? Absolutely. And it's, it's really interesting because in naturopathic medicine, I use a lot of anti-inflammatory herbs for chronic inflammation. So things like turmeric and boswellia, for example. But in the short term, if someone breaks an ankle, for example, you can't use those things because you need the inflammation process to happen for that healing to happen. Um, and so when it comes to the gut, so often that inflammation goes chronic because of those microbes, because of the foods people are eating, because of so many of the elements that are happening. And then that inflammation goes throughout throughout the rest of the body. And I always like to distinguish when we talk about inflammation, I think it's really good to think about inflammation like a teeter-totter. And so there's different types of inflammation in the body. So you may say, oh, I don't have chronic inflammation because I don't have joint pain and things along that lines. But if you picture a teeter-totter, one end is something called TH1 and the other end is something called TH2. Fancy words, but really all it means is that you're balancing between autoimmunity um, and allergies. And so we really don't want the bugs in our gut to dictate one of those directions. We want to sit right in the middle and be balanced. And that's what always we're trying to achieve with food and with stress reduction and all of these other things. 
And the thing is, obviously, we know that inflammation does start to play havoc with peristalsis, which is that muscular action, isn't it, from the colon, which moves the food along, the digested food mass. But because we talked about poo at the beginning, can we use this opportunity, actually, to talk about the frequency of pooing? How many times should we poo in a day or in a week? And also the, the sort of substances, should it be soft, should it be hard? And also just talking about mucus in the stool. So are you able to elaborate on that, Sarah? Yeah, that's my favorite subject. Actually, I have a poo emoji in my office. <laughs> and everyone always judges me, but I always say I'd rather be known as the poo doctor than the sh- doctor. So we'll, we'll work with that. <laughs> but I think, that, yeah, this is also a really good opportunity to talk about the difference between common and normal, right? Because people think that constipation and diarrhea, and I'll define those in a second, are normal. Gas and bloating are normal, right? Heartburn, burping, bad breath, normal, which these things are not normal. They may be common, but they're not normal. And so you should be having a bowel movement at least once a day. I always tell people, I like to see the transit time, which is the time from entering your mouth to leaving your anus to eight to 18 hours in an ideal world. So you can actually time this, which is a fun experiment for everyone to do because some people don't like to look at their poo, do it, just grow up, grow a pair. Let's, let's look at our poop ladies. Um, but you can take a tablespoon or two of white sesame seeds because they don't break down in the gastrointestinal system. And so you can take them and watch when the last one passes, that's your transit time. So that should be eight to 18 hours. And your stool should also be nice and easy to pass. You shouldn't be straining. It shouldn't be hard. There should be no blood. And mucus is really just a sign of inflammation in the gastrointestinal tract. Same with undigested food right? You should not have undigested food. If you are pooping your salad out, that's because you're not making enough of the enzymes in your stomach to break down those foods. So you're not actually getting the nutrients out of it. So these things are so key. There's something called the Bristol stool chart. You can Google it if you would like to. Um, it is one of, uh, it's a very fun clinical tool because I'm like, where does your poo sit on this chart? Um, for people who are really uncomfortable because they could just be like type four. Um, they don't have to describe it in any more detail than <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but we do want it to be together. We do want it to be easy to pass because there's so much stuff leaving your body in your bowel movements. This is a main route of detoxification of hormones. This is a main route to get toxins out of the body in general. Um, The fiber is really important in your stool. Like a lot of your stool is even just bacteria that's leaving the body. And so it's really important. It should also not have a crazy smell. Really sulfury smelling bacteria can be associated with methane producing um, types of bugs, which slow down that contraction, slow down peristalsis. Um, So we can get so much information from poop. And what about the mucus side of things? Because mucus is very important. Well, it, you, you will see it with a lot of inflammatory bowel disease as well, won't you? So are you able to just to mention a bit about that? Because that's a really important one too. Yeah, I, I look at mucus even with any like bug imbalance. So inflammatory bowel disease is definitely something that is on my radar. Um, but mm. even just when assessing women for digestive functus, or function, I'll say, do you have mucus in your stool? And almost always if we do gastrointestinal testing, so we can do really in-depth testing, those people have bad bugs. Um, There's signs of inflammation because your body is producing that to try to protect itself because that mucus layer should be happening all the way throughout your nose, throughout your mouth, all the way to your anus. And so if it's producing more and more mucus from those cells, it's a sign that your body's trying to put up a layer and protect against what's happening in there. What do you see with mucus? Yeah, that, and that's it. It's more because of the inflammatory side of things. But the thing is, I was going to say, um, 
you know, over here, we've got the bushfires, unfortunately, at the moment. And I often will use this as an example that um, when you get the bad breath and when you get the like foggy heads and you get all these other little symptoms, they're like spot fires. They're like where the cinders have gone off from the source. So although you can put mints in your mouth to get rid of the smelly breath or take a paracetamol for a headache, until you go to the root cause, and in a lot of these cases, it's the gut health, until we look at that, um, those cinders will just keep flying off from the root so it's really bringing it back to it so I was thinking maybe after the break Sarah we could talk a little bit more about microbiome but then look at the, the psychology and the immune system and how that's linked again with our um, digestive system Sarah here do you love what you're learning do you want to take your health to the next level in addition to my book on weight loss resistance finally lose it I'm developing a number of masterclasses on the evidence-based treatment of some troublesome women's health issues. We are going to cover hair loss, acne, how to support your body for preconception and through pregnancy, and so much more. To find out more, follow me on Instagram at drsarah__nd, or go to advancedwomenshealth.ca slash podcast to be the first to find out when they're released. Okay, Sarah, so before the break, we were talking about um, different factors to do with inflammation. Um, and we've talked about how we want to get to the root cause of what a lot of these symptoms are. And we, we talked about cinders and how they can fly off from the root cause to create secondary symptoms. Um, can we first of all discuss about how important microbiome or a healthy gut bacteria is uh, for all those factors? Yeah, absolutely. It's foundational. It's absolutely foundational. And I used to do microbiome research. And so this is such a huge area of passion because it really comes from the moment of birth. That is when so much of this is dictated because your body has something called a set point. And so around the ages of two or three years old, that's when your body decides what type of bacteria it wants to have as its kind of normal flora. And flora is just another word for the types of bacteria and yeast that are in there. And so that set point is so critical. So if you have a baby, for example, who's born by a C-section, their microbiome, so the types of bugs there can look like a hospital. And so then as they progress through life, we know that they're at higher risk of allergies and asthma and eczema and sometimes autoimmune disease, depending on that epigenetic picture. Um, they're more likely to have weight issues. So there's so many things that play into it and really helping to rebalance those bugs that are in there early on in life can have lifelong impacts in terms of inflammation um, and also in terms of serotonin and neurotransmitters and everything else that's happening. And it's interesting you say that because I was recently uh, listening to something from a gastroenterologist and he said because of the C-section that the baby does not get the mother's flora on the way down the vagina. And um, what they're doing now is immediately after C-section, they're taking vaginal swabs and putting it into the baby's mouth and across their face to try and bring in that, that start point that they would have lost because they didn't have a vaginal birth. So it's quite interesting how they're bringing that in quite quickly now. I know he said that's in select hospitals, but I'm I'm sure that's going to happen eventually um, further along elsewhere. 
No, there's so much interesting research. It's very controversial here. In some places, it's actually still illegal, but there is a lot of really good information on it um, in terms of how it can support that baby's lifelong immunity. And that's how important these bugs are. It's really looking at the lifelong potential. And we know that essentially you can have two different states. You can have a stable state or an instable state, which essentially means that when you, if you have to take antibiotics for something, you can either bounce back to your stable state, which can be healthy or unhealthy, or that exposure can completely destabilize you. And that's why some people will be never well since mm-hmm. an antibiotics or an illness, um, because their microbiome doesn't have that balance that we need for good health. Because diff- just like different breeds of dogs, different types of bacteria have very different functions in the body. I say, if you, always, if you only have chihuahuas, they can't go do a German shepherd's job. And it's the same yeah. with those bugs. Yeah, that's so true. And, and I was thinking, um, as regards the gut, because I love anything about the central nervous system generally, um, and the nervous system, there is a link, isn't there? Because the nervous system's deep, deeply influenced by emotion. And in turn, the nervous system uh, then has a huge influence on the regulation of the immune response and inflammation. Um, and there's something that's called neuropeptides. And basically for the listeners, in case they're not sure what a neuropeptide is, it's basically a protein molecule that's secreted by nerve cells. And what they will do in this instance is they help to promote inflammation or in some instances to inhibit it. Um, and so they're found in heavy amounts or huge concentrations within the intestines. Um, and so because of that, that's where you can see there can be a vulnerability to irritable bowel disease, for instance, if you've got the emotional factor as well as other sensitivities with foods, you can see how quickly that inflammation, the dial can turn up quite quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. And just, it's so interesting to me too, how much pain perception happens at a gut level, how you can completely change someone's like fibromyalgia, for example, you can completely change their experience of pain in their body just by balancing their gut. Oh yeah, absolutely. It is. Uh, and that's, that's so, so true because then if that's the case, it starts to, affect, it will improve their mental health as well, isn't it? Because it's all very heavily linked. Um, the interesting thing is though, um, I'm sure, cause this is your area of expertise that there's a neuropeptide called substance P. Mm-hmm. Are you, can you elaborate on that or, um, because it, yeah, you can, you can take it away. That one is, is something that they are looking into a lot with irritable bowel syndrome, and it's essentially involved in the regulation of pain perception. Um, it's not something that I've delved too much into, but if you have any more to say on that, I would love to hear. Well, it's basically because the, they say about the neuropeptide that it's a powerful stimulator of inflammation. And so what it will do is it will induce certain immune cells and also release the inflammatory chemicals, such as like, you know, histamine, uh, prostaglandins and others as well. So again, you can see there's a huge, huge link, but that's the big neuropeptide that's very much linked into all the gut side of things. Um, and again, um, chronic stress is it's going to cause all sorts of issues. But there's a whole new area called psychoneuroimmunology. And And this is the thing is that they're putting them all together because as we talked at the beginning about the soma, you know, you can't separate the mind and body. They're heavily influenced and all the emotional and the psychological and the mental and the spiritual sides of things, everything's all so tied up together, isn't it? So that's why we can't put things in a test tube anymore because the more we learn about the gut, which is the second brain, um, you can see how heavily linked it is. And it's just, it's so funny how, I think research is awesome, but 
we so deeply know these things too. Like we have sayings like, oh, I have a gut feeling about this or trust your gut, right? Like we just innately know how important this function is to our body. I find that so amazing. It is. And, and you know, I've said before about when we class the soma as a sensory organism that absorbs all thoughts, emotions, beliefs, and it molds who we are, you know, so that's our whole mind and body. It's fascinating how, in a sense, the gut is also that sensory apparatus, isn't it? Because it has its own nervous system anyway. Um, and that is still intimately connected with our emotional centers. And it's exactly what you say. It's I've heard people saying to me things like it's gut wrenching and all that, you know, how you rub your tummy when you get your upset tummy, or as you say, that gut feeling, or it's just, it's a real visceral thing, isn't it? Because that's why when we now know that we have our, it is a second brain, we have our own nerves in there um, and they will operate on their own without the brain having to be involved. That's why we get that knot in our stomach. You know, it's all those feelings. Again, it's the sensory, um, the sensory awareness, but then we also bring in those expressions to tie it all in together. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, and also just wanting to mention uh, uh, briefly about nausea and um, burping, because again, you mentioned before about heartburn, um, but that's all still linked with the anxiety factor, isn't it? And that lump in your throat. I think mm-hmm. that is such a fascinating one because I'll have patients come in all the time and they're, they're like, I just, I feel like I'm constantly swallowing against something. I feel like there's a lump in my throat and I'm always thinking about their thyroid in those situations. I'm like, is there physically something going on that they're swallowing against? But oftentimes if there's not, um, in traditional Chinese medicine, cause I'm also trained in that there's something called plumpet C, which is essentially that lump in your throat feeling that comes up with anxiety and with like the mental emotional stress. Um, so I just find it so interesting how East and West and intuition, we all come back to the same thing, which is digestive function and emotions are so tightly linked. And, and it's just uh, briefly wanted to mention about the gulping and the swallowing is it's a, it's an action of repressed emotion. So, you know, when, when something happens like that, there's the gulping because you're trying to push it down or it's the fact that you don't want to vocalize or you don't feel your voice is being heard. So there's a lot of gulping. So notice if you're the sort of person that when you get anxious and stressed, do you gulp a lot? Or do you feel that your voice becomes quite horsey? Or have you found that at times you get that gulping horsiness and maybe a stiff neck and shoulders? That's all mechanisms of pushing down that emotion and of course if we push it down it has to surface somewhere so it could be muscle tension or it could be muscle tension and inflammation in the gut because remember the colon is still a muscular system isn't it as it moves things along so if our muscles are starting to become spasmy or spasmodic that could be affecting not just the neck and shoulders, but the colon, and then creating more of those issues. So it's interesting again how repressed emotion, gut health, it all comes back. And we see that with constipation all the time. I tell people it's a holding pattern. You're physically holding in your body. I'm trying not to swear on this podcast, although I have a bit of a potty mouth. Um, But but yeah, from that side of things, like you're physically holding it in. Um, And so it is so interesting to see sometimes when people let go that you also will have a couple days of diarrhea. Yeah. So I was just thinking, closing this up, Sarah, if you've got some points to take away that we could think about how we can take care of our gut and, and try and reduce inflammation when it's not necessarily needed. Absolutely. And I think my first and foremost is coming to understand the difference between common and normal, right? Mm-hmm. So bloating, gas, constipation, burping, these like these things, even hives, allergies, autoimmune, they're not normal, they're common. And they are oftentimes linked back to the digestive system. So that's a big one. 
I think another thing that we didn't touch on too much, we'll get into in much more detail moving forward, is that identify your personal triggers when you're looking at gut function. So is it a food? Is it stress? Is it your routine, right? So you actually physically don't have time to poop in the morning. Um, look into all these different areas and see, hmm, if I eat this food, my gut doesn't feel so great. Or on the weekends when I'm relaxed, everything seems to be so much better. That can give you so much of a clue into what to do next. Um, and I always say, if you don't have good gut function, it is like building a house on a really poor foundation, a broken foundation. That house is going to come falling back down. So I can build someone up and get them feeling 100%, but two weeks, three weeks, a month, a year later, everything's going to come falling back if I haven't fixed that gut or that foundation. Mm. That's really good. Mine kind of ties in a bit as well with what you were saying, because really I'd say to people, to become somatically aware and to heighten our awareness. Remember when we're somatically aware, we're really focusing on the internal environment and how that makes us glow from the inside out, basically. So we'd be looking, are we somatically aware? Are we heightening our awareness to food and drink to see if it's supporting us or if it's starting to hinder us and maybe creating um, maybe like a feeling a bit low in ourselves or if we find that we end up always blowing our nose after certain foods or if we feel a little bit anxious, um, all those sorts of things. Can we, can we do things to sort of support and heighten efficient bowel movement? Um, and then the second one I'd say is to remember that stress and emotion and gut health are heavily linked. So being really focused on making sure that we manage emotional stress directly. And so that's why with somatic breathing, somatic movement, there's lots of things that we can do to slow down the central nervous system, bring movement back into our gut by just learning to teach those muscles to let go and release and then the third one i'd say is just to have a really good habit and we've talked about habits before already a really good habit of taking a daily probiotic because if we've got a good probiotic it's really going to help as you say with those foundations it's about building again from the inside out that's really important so I think with that in mind, we've got lots of food for thought as we move in quite nicely to the next podcast. So in the next podcast, we're going to be talking about food and hydration. So it, it really does blend in very well with what we've discussed now. So um, with that, we'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Take care. Bye now. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more, go to reallywellwomen.com and connect with us. Also, spread the word so we can increase the feeling of really well women all around the world. So until next time, take care.